The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing, flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Now, normally we start with industry news and notes, but we're again going to flip-flop things a little bit and chat with our special guest. Melissa Anthony Sin, founder and CEO of Anthony Barnum Public Relations, leads a team of expert public relations strategists based in Austin, Texas. Her firm serves some of the most recognized multinational companies in the world and innovative mid-market and emerging organizations headquartered in Texas. With nearly 20 years of experience in public relations, this native Texan began her career in New York City, where she held positions at the renowned Ruderfin and Macmillan Communications. Her PR expertise and commitment to excellence have been invaluable, has, have been invaluable for clients, including the nation of the Czech Republic top service firms, and leading high-growth technology companies. In addition to driving Anthony Barnum forward, Melissa actively supports the goals of the Austin entrepreneurial and business community as a board member of the Greater Austin Chamber of Commerce. She's a longtime board member of the Capital Area Food Bank of Texas and a patron of the Austin Ballet and actively engaged in veterans' issues. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I'm excited to be here and talk about PR. (laughs) <laughs> all about PR and all about that great city of Austin, Texas, by the way. You and I had oh, the opportunity yeah. to spend some time together a few weeks ago, and I can't wait to get back because um, when I was down for the Formula One race, I, I, I was corrected. You corrected me quite clearly. You said, stay in Austin next time. Don't go to San Antonio. So I, I promise I will definitely be in Austin next time because the city is just really, really vibrant. It definitely is, and on behalf of the Chamber of Commerce, we regret that you did not have your tax revenue. <laughs> so, um, please. I, I promise that'll never happen again, ever, ever. Great. Hey, well, I've seen various definitions of public relations. Uh, the professional maintenance, really one of the main ones is the professional maintenance of a favorable public image by a company or other organization or famous person. Is that a pretty fair definition? I thought it was an interesting. I thought it was an interesting definition that you um, selected. And I actually think it, this is a very dated concept of right. what public relations is in the um, the minds of businesses and the minds of individuals. The way I would frame it, I think that public relations is at, at is kind of got a split personality. At some 
at some point, it really is about the, a favorable or a positive image of an organization. And I'm talking about business-to-business or business-related public relations. Right. On, the, on the other hand, it's very much about um, information sharing and communicating ideas. Look, we, we live in a world, as, as um, I'm sure you're aware, with rapid evolution in ideas and technology. There are revolutions going on in innumerable industries. And so I think one of the heartbeats of public relations is about sharing that advancement, sharing advancing ideas, sharing new concepts in the form of the third-party media. So where PR tends to distinguish itself is that it's about strategy and about earned media placements, meaning um, being in the media covered within the realm of the news. Um, But I go back to a big pillar here at, at my firm, Anthony Barnum, and what I've seen evolve over the last couple of decades is that it's really about sharing ideas and information. And the sharing of ideas, and it's a the sharing of ideas, and I want to make sure that I'm clear on that. Um, sometimes those ideas can be um, promotional. I, I want to say I just want to clarify: are, are, are promotional ideas, informational ideas? Um, I, what kind of? I mean, are we talking? What kind of ideas are we we talking about? Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that question. Now, I want to make sure we're working within. Um, the framework of we're not talking about celebrity publicity, right? Okay, yeah, we're being in that possibly, world. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I couldn't possibly tell you what the point of that it, what the point of it is and why people read it. Right. I wouldn't happen to have any insight on that as as it doesn't personally um, interest me. So it's a totally different, totally different genre. Right. Um, so we're going to focus in on business-to-business business or more complex public relations versus the other piece, which is consumer. So if you're right. a consumer brand, you have somewhat different goals. When you are when you've got a more complex service or product, you're right. One of the goals is to get mind share and get market share, right? If you're going to spend assets and resources on any form of marketing – and public relations is a form of marketing, then it's got to have the end goal of delivering a return on your investment or therefore selling more of what you're trying to, um, what you're trying to sell to the public. Mm-hmm. Now, now, here's the difference, though. When you're talking about more complex ideas, you really have to educate the market on perhaps the issue with which your services or products solve you have to educate the market on what the differentiators are of your product or service. And therein lies um, where public relations can be both subtle and very effective in comparison to other genres. And because you're a part of a multifaceted conversation, and when I say conversation, I'm talking about when a reporter is covering you, because you're plugging into a conversation that the reporter is having with, with their audience, with right. their readership, with their subscribers, you're having a multifaceted conversation about a services, a service and an issue. So I would say that the most effective public relations is not going to be overtly um, 
overtly and totally intentionally uh, promotional and self-serving, right. it's going to be really informative. What do people <clears throat> really need to know? Um, for example, let me, let me provide an example. Good. One of our clients Good. is a, a very high growth, um, big data for intellectual property, for patents. Okay, it's a big, it has all of this information. It's clean. The, the company has this SaaS product with all this information. It's cleaned up all these patent filings and information from all over the world. What companies are, are, are interested in what patent portfolios, et cetera. Um, so part of this campaign is really talking to the C-level, the decision makers, the um, corporate counsel about the value of understanding the the patent strategy of your competitors, right? So okay. that when you're making your patent business strategy and you're making your IP strategy, this information is going to serve you in order to um, have access to more uh, information as a platform for decision making. So this isn't, you know, promote, you know, saying that this company is the best in the world, they're a fantastic company headquartered here in Austin, Texas, called Inography. But saying that they're the best company in the world is really not going to add any value or, um, you know, even serve their purpose. So we go back to what is the business challenge that this solution solves? Why is that business challenge super critical? And then how can this information help you make and navigate the decision-making process? So, again, a lot more complex subject matter, a lot more about sharing information and ideas and business strategy than it is about, hey, buy this thing. Yeah, and would you agree that very much like um, content marketing or inbound marketing, there's clearly a – and people aren't stupid, let's face it. And if you make something that's promotional, people see that and they gloss over that. But if you do it from an informational standpoint – even that PR that's informational and not promotional, you do you agree that you would have a much better uh, impact, if you will? So I I'm a I am a 20 year PR veteran, right? That's right. So I'm going to be very um, I'm going to be very straightforward in what I think. I think that all of these forms of marketing, outbound marketing, promotional marketing, advertising, I do think they have their place. Right. I just think that they are not nearly as impactful, far-reaching, or critical. Now, I know that a lot of companies, um, these, these targeted email-based promotion, that, that there's an ROI on that. Right. But I would also caution that the very promotional, being overly promotional or not balancing your marketing deck with um, – really legitimate thought leader type of expertise is going to undermine the total credibility of your brand. And people are not stupid. And every trick that most companies are already doing, everybody already knows all the tricks, right? Are we going to throw up, is there going to be another bad ad following me around, you know, my Facebook page? I, I mean, I think that we're even getting, that's the thing about all of this new, um, at online advertising and all these right. tricks and all of these spreadsheets about promotion uh, and these different tactics for promotion is that people get very tired of them. They get very sour on them. Sure do. Right? Sure do. And I would contend that people don't get sour when you have a legitimate information that's valuable to them 
their business, their life, whatever it is. And that's why PR never gets old. Well, let me stay with that for a second because I, I the one thing, and I may be completely wrong because I'm not – in the past, when we've gotten involved in traditional PR, um, and A, you, did, you and I didn't know each other at that point, um, that won't happen again. But traditional PR seems to be, and I may be wrong, but seems to be the big guys have the, you know, they have their PR departments and they have their PR uh, machine going. But are there smaller companies and can smaller companies use PR effectively without, you know, like breaking the bank? Because I know it's, it's not cheap. It's not free. Don't get me wrong. But PR, from what historically people have always thought is, oh, geez, that's really, really expensive. Um, could you shed some light on that? Yeah. Um, so sophisticated organizations and sophisticated brands, either high-growth organizations, right, or um, companies that have a multinational presence and, and that are on the larger scale, they understand how critical public relations is to their marketing pie. The real question is, can mid-market companies really sustainably execute a campaign? I think that's a tricky, as a PR firm that has a lot of mid-market clients, I would say that that's a tricky question because um, the problem is the PR industry in and of itself. So if you're looking at the Manhattan or Chicago firms or the San Francisco firms, they're going to be extremely unapproachable from a price standpoint. Um, so the challenge there is to find a more, um, a more affordable option that's still going to be very strategic. So even if you're, if, even if you're bleeding, spending a ton of money on PR and you're you know, securing a firm from the heart of New York City, you're going to be getting the least, potentially, the least amount of attention from their team because you're still going to be the smallest company in their roster. You're the small fish. So what companies have to do is be exceedingly strategic in terms of their search for a firm and look at some of the mid-market firms that are a little bit more stratified, a little bit harder to find, you know, Anthony Barnum, we're, sure. we work with a lot of companies that are $30 million to $100 million. We have a set of companies within that range we like working with those companies. But, yeah. but the reality is, is that when you're smaller than that, um, it gets very difficult. And I have done a lot of analysis over this. And let me tell you why. I love, I've worked with CEOs for 20 years. I love CEOs. I love people with vision. I love cowboys who want to go out there and create something right. from scratch. Make it happen. Make it happen. And, and, and so there are many experiences and entrepreneurs that I have worked with prematurely. So I know this from the hard way. The reality is if you don't have a systematized sales strategy and infrastructure within your organization, PR will never be able to help you, right? So you must have... It just in terms of the rubric of being an, a business owner and an entrepreneur, before you spend money on PR, you've got to have that system of sales because PR and no form of marketing ever really replaces whatever relationship or business development is necessary in your industry. It complements, it fuels, it excels, it's a collaboration, it's a, it's a working together on the same goal. Right. But, but no amount of... Um, no amount of marketing or PR will replace 
a really systematized sales strategy within your sector. So I say that because I think that um, PR cannot be adopted before that point. Does it have to be 30 million, Mark? No. Let me give you two examples. There are two companies that we started working with at um, literally one was approximately 5 million in revenue. Another one of them was about 11 million in revenue. And in the course of six years, seven years, and I don't know what made these CEOs do this. I really don't. At the time, um, I, I don't know exactly what I was thinking in terms of the engagement, but they seemed really excited about PR. I felt like a, our firm could do something great for them. Um, one of those companies, the one that was $11 million is now $75 million. The one that wow. was $5 million is now $80 million. And Good they gravy. made an investment really, really early on, right. even before they had all of their systems in place, because they just had the vision for it. So I'm, I'm saying two things. I think that it is, it is an incredibly powerful engine, and it can be transformative, but, you know, it's not your total answer to, I need more sales in the door. So don't make that confusion. Yeah, and and let me stay with that for a second. So these firms that we're talking about, for example, when they came in to Anthony Barnum and you guys were working together, did you have a clear I know you mentioned before you weren't sure, you know, why they at the time kind of you guys all connected, but but was there um did you guys clearly say the goal here is to get you from eleven million to twelve million or eleven million to fifty million, whatever it may be? Is that, and I understand exactly what you're saying about if you don't have the sales infrastructure, PR is just a waste of time. It doesn't replace it. So let me just say that. We'll go back to that in a second. But the question is, is that um, did you have, and is that part of the unique strategy that Anthony Barnum brings to the table is when you do sit down with a new client, it's kind of like, hey, what are we doing this for? Is that a good statement? Is that kind of what we're planning to do with this, um, Mr. Customer? Is that is that a... I mean, can you help, yeah. help me with that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think whenever we sit with any organization or organization within a very large organization, what we want to get at is what is the vision? What is the end game? Um, I think our, our senior team has been doing this long enough that we understand revenue and we understand we can have that conversation with the key decision makers of where they're trying to get. One of the questions is, what's your vision? I also ask, you know, real quietly when no one's around, what's your exit strategy? Right. Because um, how are you going to be acquired for top dollar if no one's heard of you? Right? Right. And, and so that PR is a strategy to be positioned for acquisition. It's a strategy for increasing your valuation. It's a strategy for communicating your unique IP and your unique differentiators. You know, if you've got a site that looks like it's from – um, 1975, that's going to say something about your brand image and you have no news. But if, right. if we can rapidly create a vision for the company that aligns with where you want to take it as a business, then um, you can accelerate it. You can achieve it. So I think with each of these individuals, they were obviously some of some very driven entrepreneurs who had a monster innovative vision and were willing to do whatever it took and understood that PR would be a strategic differentiator for them. Now, let me stay with that again. Um, these companies were companies like them that we're, we're, we're talking with. 
Because um, from from my perspective as a business owner, I too have um, you know big dreams. I do want to. You're speaking my language when it comes to PR. One of the things can really help increase the value um, of the business mm-hmm. through PR, etc. Among other things, but the, um, the the question is is that um, can a company like that isn't necessarily, I'm in the packaging business. There is nothing sexy and cutting edge um, about packaging. And can PR help shape that and help change that, um, that mentality of, of when people hear packaging, they go, oh, it's bubble wrap or, you know, boxes. Um, can you, it, does, it, and would PR help in our type of situation like that? Well, I think that that's, I mean, you're right. You're in a very niche industry, right? It's not an industry right. that um, people are are necessarily really aware of. I believe that um, m- like a vast majority of companies could benefit from it. So that goes from taking the vision. As a CEO, you have a vision of what you're trying to accomplish as a company and what different- differentiates your company. When, when, for example, a team like AB, Anthony Barnum, walks into a company, one of the things that we want to do is figure out what all your differentiators are, right? Who you are, what's your message, what are you saying to the marketplace in every How are you external different? touch point. Right. And then we yeah. want to look at your every single external um, touch point. Let me digress for a second. We don't design websites. We work with partners who design websites. But if we feel a company's visual identity, just their basic website, is a hindrance to their credibility, we will absolutely project manage the redesign of their site to something that reflects best practices in uh, this decade, right? Because we run into companies that are a little bit closely held. Maybe they haven't spent some time on that and they need an outsider to say, okay, we're PR. We're all about your external image too. This is a hindrance. Let's get it fixed fast. It doesn't have to be the big drama that um, we... Long and short, your website isn't cutting it. Right. It's just not cutting. It's hurting your image. So going back to could a company in a niche sector be able to to articulate a differentiator? Well, assuming you have differentiators and you're not a, your company isn't a pack of zombies, just, you know, going through the motions and you have a vision and you're trying to bring breakthroughs to the industry. I'm sure that packaging is a very big concern for your target audience, which may very well be top you know, food companies and food right. brands in the U.S., right. and maybe your product impacts their entire green footprint in terms of weight and how they can do things more efficiently. Maybe your product extends the life of their, um, your packaging extends the life of their product. Maybe your packaging is innovative in terms of incorporating in recycling. Maybe right. there's other conveniences. Maybe it's packaging that is... Um, safer for, you know, for certain types of projects, products that are harder to get, um, you know, harder to keep um, kids away from, right? Right. Whatever it is, you have to analyze all of those, you have to analyze all of those concepts and differentiators, and then you create the, the thought leadership as an expert in packaging that's going to be really valuable to your, um, to your the target audience you're trying to sell to because you are no doubt an expert on every sort of packaging and these are big issues. So I, in fact, wouldn't think that it would be, um, you know, 
inappropriate or inconceivable for you to consider a PR campaign depending on where you are in your life cycle. The challenge is, say you go out to find that, you're going to have a really hard time finding um, the right type of the right type of expert to understand um, your domain. That's the challenge. A lot of PR, unfortunately, industry is pretty inconsistent in terms of its standards and its practices. Right. Um, that's great for me because we've been able to innovate and get a lot of great clients and do things our way and our methodology. But for someone who's looking for it, it can be pretty challenging to find someone who gets their business and gets, and gets what they're trying to achieve. Um, but I do think there's a strategy there and could be um, given that you're a stable organization. I mean, one of the things you don't want to be spending money on, unless you're crazy, and I think these two clients I mentioned were a little nuts, unless you feel particularly stable as an organization, because that's the other thing about PR. It's not fast. It can take, right. it can take time. It's right. an investment where you're building. There's a lot of analysis that goes up front, a lot of research, a lot of working with the, the um, executive team to develop and codify and, and solidify the vision and writing and the concepts. Okay. And then you're out going to the media and that takes time to get the media to connect, take their temperature, shift. If maybe one of the things you thought was of interest to your target audience really isn't hitting a chord, then you have to make adjustments. So it is, um, it is a pretty intensive um, um, timeline. It's not going to be, it's not going to be, it's not like selling, sending out an email and finding out yeah, how people respond to it. Yeah, expecting to come right back. Hey, Melissa, right. we've got to take a short break. I know you've uh, agreed to stick with us for a few more minutes. Um, cool. uh, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax. We'll be right back. This is a great conversation. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You've got a great product, and it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers, and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net or call us at 866-440-2123. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You 
You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you'd like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now, back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box. We're talking with our friend, Melissa Anthony Sin, founder and CEO of Anthony Barnum Public Relations in Austin, Texas. So, Melissa, I know we got off on a tangent and I kind of threw my my world of the, you know, being the packaging business and could PR help. Uh, let's just kind of basics for a second before we kind of dig into what Anthony Barnum does and, and your your kind of pillars, if you will. But what what are different types of PR? I mean, um, for the for the complete knucklehead like me that that you know you hear PR, can you give me that 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 you know help the layman like me figure out what exactly are we talking about with PR? I understand press releases, but what other types of PR are there? Right, and I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about public relations. I don't think you're knucklehead at all. It's a it's an industry that is sometimes cloaked a little bit right. um, uh, behind the behind the curtain. So. Yes, uh, people think about press releases, and the irony is, is that in my 20-year career, press releases have gone from being incredibly important to sort of important to almost ridiculously unimportant. Yeah, almost so, a nuisance. Almost, almost useless. Not right. totally. The old form of a press release is useless. The new form is not. So let me break down the different categories of how I frame what a public relations campaign for a um, complex sector company, what it what typically looks like, its key component. Um, strategy and positioning. There is no run on the field and start playing, okay? A PR campaign really needs to f- reflect your business objectives, which hopefully are your marketing objectives. Hopefully right. your marketing objectives look like your business objectives. Um so there is a time of there's strategy, which could be the positioning of products, the positioning of the company itself, um, the determination of who your audience has, your audience really needs to be. All of those need to be made. All those decisions need to be made within that strategizing messaging. You know, one of the tactics that's very common for our organization is to go out and audit competitors. Right to audit the competitors to see, see what, what they're, they're doing. doing. Yeah, yep. see what they're doing to see where we can put in a wedge to benchmark against the industry. Often, it's also doing messaging, which is a really methodical project process where you're. How do you describe the company? What are its products? And you would be surprised. I would say the vast majority of our clients go through some kind of messaging exercise because if you're going out to the media and you can't say who you are within five words. And it requires semicolons and dashes right. and <laughs> right. uh, you know exclamation points, right? Exclamation, right. you know, no, it's got to be succinct and clear. Um, the the next facet of of public relations is content creation. So, content creation is this really interesting evolving category where. Um, you're creating content for a lot of different mediums and channels. Content for your social media. And I'm going to get into that specifically later, but social yeah, right. media content. Hello? I'm here. Yeah. Blogs, content creation, paid articles where 
there are some times in some industries and some examples where you do want to plant um, different articles that are that are created as content and buy space for them in order to um, in order to increase your search engine optimization. Okay. Right. So right. content creation. The next right. pillar is, of course, news. But news and or press releases is not what you think it is. It's not a written press release. Sometimes, like if you've just bought another company and it's transactional, absolutely you need to write, a, you need to write an old school press release. But if you're – but how often is that going to happen right. in comparison – to the times that you're just seeking to get visibility. So I like to work with clients to think about how they can use video as a press release, how they can use infographics as a press release, how they can do briefer, more visually driven press releases. And then in terms of distribution, let's say you've innovated on a product and you want to get that covered. Well, you don't really need to stick it on a wire service, which is what we used to do in the old days. Oh, yeah. It's not going to move the market, okay? You're not going to get in the Wall Street Journal for making an innovation in your product, but it may, as a mid-market company anyway, it may very well be um, exceedingly audience to industry trades, to the um, target audience that you're trying to sell to. So press releases really need to be looked at in a different way, and, and we're in that, that world. What I think is the most powerful form of public relations is really thought leadership, which is where you're, again, sharing information, communicating information, and helping your audiences understand new ideas that are important to their lives or their business. And that can be, and those, and that kind of thought leadership can be anything from, you know, again, giving speeches to white papers, to blog posts, to videos, like you mentioned before. Am I right Right. with that? Yes. But our goal, we see that as form of, we see that as forms of content. Our goal, because we are a PR firm, is to always get media coverage. We want the credibility. Okay. Because I was going to ask, because you were right on with that. You mentioned earlier um, in our in our in our show that you know a PR is a form of marketing, and and I was wondering where you're going with that, but you totally got it because that's the that's the goal there, and that is to get that media coverage. I love it. Please please pick up with that. Right. So a team like ours is um, we have former we have a former CNN reporter, we have former broadcast reporters, we have former reporters on staff that have big PR backgrounds as well, and our job with our clients is typically to take the assets, take the message, take the strategy, and get as much coverage in the media that, is, that we possibly can for their organization to their benefit. So if you're a company in, like the one I mentioned previously, which right. is this big data for IP, we want to be all over Bloomberg Business Week. We want to be in the Wall Street Journal. We want to be in certain technology outlets. We want to be in legal trade because we want to be in front of their target customers. There's a study, and there have been many studies, but if you can get covered in a news article about an issue or covered by a reporter, the, the level of retention is, I don't know, they 75% or higher than any advertisement you will ever do. So crazy? I heard that too, and you were, I, I totally get it, totally. So we want to create as much volume as we possibly can in earned media coverage. That's really an end goal for a lot of the clients that we work with. 
Now, I, there are other reasons to do PR, such as perhaps your organization has had some reputation issues or crisis. Okay, maybe you just want to create a more systematized process for what you're trying to accomplish. But at the end of the day, we grade ourselves on how much high value on message media coverage did we get. And that's all about having the best ideas. It really is. It really comes down to having the best ideas of what to take to the media because the media are inundated. So it's not even who you know. Of course, a team like ours has worked in PR. Yeah, there are people who respect us, and that's helpful. But at the end of the day, reporters are going to cover great ideas. They have a constituency to serve. That's their viewer or readership. Did we bring information to them that moved that needle for their audience? So that's the that's kind of the intellectual challenge that we're trying to accomplish. And this team is, um, and it's one of the things that's exciting about working in PR because you're working with the reporters on planet Earth that move industries forward, that change the perception of a market. That's, but isn't it, but it, it's crazy. it's in the and the one thing I don't but isn't the right way, word to to use but so much of the uh, of that of that media industry has also changed. I mean that's one of the great things that um, Anthony Barnum has been able to do is that you know if it's if it's media I mean if it's true pure newspaper coverage whatever it is that's one thing but you're also talking about media from um you know from actual um video footage and from getting in front of all different types of media because frankly if we all re- just waited for the newspaper we all know those are dying around right around right in front of our eyes so the um you know for for you guys to be able to kind of get to all the different types of media um, that's powerful stuff. Well, I would say that in my career that I have seen an interesting shift. So 20 years ago, I go into PR, and there's a very, you know, it's the birth of the Internet, or the Internet's not right. really even a thing at the moment. Right. But there's still a very narrow layer of media that are really in ch- large and in charge and shaping markets, right? Yep. And it's the classics. Oh, okay, the old days, you- yeah. Right. But you always had very interesting trade media environment where, you know, the oil and gas sector has a whole incredibly uh, wealth generating media sector. Okay. There's every, you know, the, the packaged, packaged goods has its own trade media. There's innumerable trade media segments that can be and are as valuable as the top national media. There's a valuable to the company that's in them, right? They may even be more valuable. It may be more important for you to be in, I don't know if this exists, but um, packaged goods USA than it is for you to be in the New York Times. Right. So there's always this trade environment. Okay, so we have this very kind of very, you know, stated, clear group of media 20 years ago. Then... All kinds of forms of technology came out. There were all kinds of cool kids in the media. There was a lot of um, splintering, fragmented media markets, and that went on and on and on and on. And then, you know, you have a recession, and that sinks that that kind of sinks back down, and the smaller players fall off. Then you have the birth of social media, and right. people are talking that social media is going to now change um, the media landscape. Well, guess what happened? 
What ended up happening is that the fragmented conversations of social media are still extremely shaped and dependent on the same, of course, there's been changes, the same high-level media that were in play 20 years ago. I agree 100%. I'm totally uh, that you're spot on. I agree 100%. There's been times where we could say that there was a little bit more variety. It's a sheer right. economic thing. After a recession, it's all about ad dollars. Yep. Companies don't have as much money to spend, and they want to spend on what they know is going to be true. There are breakthrough media outlets that have become contenders in the world of media that weren't there before. I'm not saying, and there's things that have dropped off completely off of the face of the earth that used to, that were um, important for maybe five to 10 years. But in terms of that 200, you know, 100 media outlets in the world, it's still 100. It's not a thousand because it's shaping it. And now what are people doing? They're following the social media analysis of the media outlets that are at the top. So it's almost like it's almost like media has really come in and owned a lot of the really important social media. Um, I'm not saying that there's not going to be shifts, but there right. are experts and good reporting is always going to be an important you know factor right. in the media environment. In, in, the, in the business environment, reporting is not going away. Reporting, real reporting, will never be outsourced. It'll never be offshored. It'll yeah, because you can't, yeah, you can't really, I guess you can't really fake that, if you will. You need somebody with boots on the ground, if you will. And PR can never be, you know, uh, famous last words, but PR is not a robot. PR requires a lot of sensitivity and analysis and the ability to analyze what different industries are thinking, how it's being impacted by other industries, to be interesting to the me- to be interesting enough to be covered by the media. Well, you're exactly right with that because there's two two thoughts that I had. Number one, um, if it's if it's like the old traditional press releases that we talked about earlier, that stuff is just drivel. It's just words on a piece of paper or an electronic release, whatever it is. Um, part of what you guys are really good at, and I know what you pride yourself on, is the ability to kind of be in, in, in involved or knowledgeable in all those different moving parts. You were just explaining that all the pieces of PR – it's really kind of moving all over the place. You've got to be able to kind of, um, you know, it depends on the situation for the client. It depends on the situation for um, the industry that you're involved in. Um, let's face it, certain certain um, types of, of coverage isn't going to work in the packaging business that would work in the IT business, um, you know, and other things like that. So that's what you guys have to be good at is yes. really trying to pick and choose those right pieces of of the of that of that PR world to kind of really use to your benefit, no. And I hope that yeah, and I hope that you're getting the picture here that this is an intellectual profession. Right. I always joke that we're the people that never went to law school. Thank God. Right. You know, right, we are right, the people right, that decided right. to think about all these other things, and um, there is a lot of critical thinking that goes on in our ability to execute for clients. I want to go back to the press release. I'll say one thing yeah, about yeah, the press good. release. The press release is 
can be an, you know, kind of an encapsulated tight, tight narrative. And so when you're talking about a complex product or product or service that you've advanced or whatever, you still need that narrative because yeah. the reporter needs to understand where you're coming from. It's right. just that blasting press releases on wires and writing any old thing is, or overly promotional information is not really going to fly. But they do have their place in terms of capturing the message and capturing the narrative as a resource to reporters who want to understand the context of your news. Yeah, it's a stra- it's part of a strategy. It's not the it's not the strategy. It's not the strategy. And let me touch a little bit on social media. I think social media is the weirdest thing in the world in terms <laughs> of to me, social media for a company is absolutely a subset of their public relations. Right. And and I do not believe I do not believe that someone under twenty five years old should be managing and have the final say on what a company of any value, <laughs> you know, right. a seven-figure, eight-figure company should be on their Twitter or LinkedIn and Facebook. The reason is greatest my, the greatest catastrophes I have witnessed have been in oddball social media posts, inappropriate conversations, whether yep. that's someone yep. who's following it. I think that social media is something that is an important tool for transparency and communications for a company. But it should be really looked at within the frame, like anything else in marketing, in the frame of the company's goals. And you shouldn't try to stretch too far out of what the company's underlying mission is with your social media content. And I think that companies underestimate it as a liability in general for their oh i i agree and so many let's just face it you don't you don't have to look very far um to find just complete um mess ups and screw ups that are done by people that weren't thinking beyond pushing the send button on the twitter or facebook that has nothing to do or put somebody in an extreme legal situation that could have been avoided had somebody you know used a little bit more of their brain cells and, you know, I think it's very, um, you know, I was a long time ago, you know, I was 25, and um, I worked with the national media at that time, as I do now. But right. the reality is, is that it takes a certain amount of experience and senior experience to understand, like, all the nuances of any type of communications coming from a company. So one of the things that we put in place here is really senior um really senior um, oversight on all social media posts. It's a little bit more cautious. It's a little bit more slow. Maybe that doesn't work for Oreo when the um, lights go out, right? And that big um, success story for them. But if if you're a complex sector company, you're not really doing that anyway. So don't try to be doing that. And the other thing, one other thing I will say is that I make it a personal mission it's not personal, but it's really for the company. But I make it a mission to really try to get as many B2B companies off Facebook as possible. I don't think it's a fit. And, and that's one of those things that um, I, I, I agree with you. I don't mean to keep agreeing with you, but you're saying everything that's right online with where I'm going with this as our company. Um, the Facebook is just not, that's not the place. That's not the venue. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit. But but everybody, can, oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. No, you don't. You just don't. No one wants to look at your company on Facebook. Right. Okay. 
people want to look at your children and your pets right. and, you know, <laughs> and your new <laughs> garden people do, and your rest, the thing you made that was really good for Thanksgiving. No one wants to look at your company on exactly. Facebook. And I will say that there's a lot of risk to that as well because social media is a two-way conversation. But I think LinkedIn, Twitter, I think there are a number of other places that you can get creative with social media to have a, to deepen your brand identity. My view is that social media is a literally a subset of PR and a subset of content creation. People and, will disagree. And with needs me. to be done properly, or or like we mm-hmm. said even earlier in the show, if it looks like it was done by a twenty year old, um, your customers, your potential customers, can see that it looks like it was done by a twenty year old. And look, you need, and this is this is one thing I'll add to that: that you need everybody's crazy ideas. When you're in a room, you need you need that that person that that millennial out of college. You need their crazy yep. idea, and yep. you need to listen to it. But there needs to just be a series of filters to make sure that it's an, an actual overarching objective-driven strategy. And if you have an objective-driven strategy, then you can filter out what needs to be there and what doesn't need to be there. The problem is that people just get on social media and frequency, right? Frequency is a tactic. It's not a strategy. Right. You know, you just never, right. Yeah. And they keep pound, and people keep pounding and pounding and pounding away at at this, and 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 frequency just actually turns people off, and that's ugh. Um, well, well, let me just stick with that. We've got about four minutes left in today's show. This has been awesome, by the way. Um, how long does a good PR um, strategy is one thing, but but you know to implement a good PR campaign, we talk in six months, we talk in six years. What do you and Anthony Barnum kind of do to kind of, you know, manage expectations of your clients for that kind of time frame? So, I, like I said, I've worked with a lot of CEOs, and we certainly have a lot. We have many very large companies with many mid-market companies. I, I am a CEO myself. I do sympathize with being a CEO as one right. myself. So, I, what, what I want to do is I want to make sure the company's in the right place and has the right heart for it and the right tolerance for it. That's really important to the relationship being successful. So if I can build a program, I want to build a program, and we have a methodology for that. I want to look at a year. Even if the contract six months might, you know, I'm going to assume that you're going to renew, we're going to look at a year. Because that's the time that I think that PR really has the opportunity to blossom. Now, should you get results before then? Absolutely. But let me give you just a little bit of of the rhythm, algorithm on how this works. So we get a client and we get, you know, one to two placements a month from, if you average it out, from March to October, right? Let's say there was 14 placements. Um, From October to January, we have 14 placements pending. My point is, that the momentum and the frequency of the results just are, it's like popping popcorn in the, in the microwave, right? right? You get some, you get some, and then it really begins to coalesce. Here it comes, and right. That's because you are taking ideas, you are taking concepts, you are taking assets to reporters, and you have to intersect with the time 
that they're going to be able to cover it based on what the needs of their outlet are. So as you have that conversation and as you push things forward, you're just going to get more. Also, let's be fair here. Not everything works the first second, you, the first try. Right, exactly. of it's, course, absolutely. Sometimes you have to try something for a month and go back and fix it. And as you figure out what is going to resonate with a new media environment and context of the company, what's going to have the most meaningful results, then you pounce on it and you push and you push. And that increases the velocity. I think if you're too, I think six months is um, doable. And there are, we do have some six month programs that we've done with clients. But I'm telling you, if you're going to look at it, you need to be have a commitment for um, a vision for it for a year. And programmatically, it's going to take you a year to really implement a rich, dynamic PR campaign. That Got doesn't it. mean, folks. It that's be- all the time we have today, Melissa. We didn't even get into Anthony Barnum. We didn't get into um, the pillars. I-, I hope you'll come back because I really want to be able to kind of dig in because you guys can do some very, very innovative things not just for the big players, not just for the mid-market, but you also have kind of a strategy on the smaller players as well. So thank you very, very much for joining us. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, this is great. And thank you. many thanks to Jamie Berling, my producer, executive producer, Winston Winnie Price from Voice America. Remember, folks, it's your product. Package it properly. Thanks, everybody. Melissa can be reached, 512-329-5670. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.